Hola, bienvenidos. Welcome to Tutia Bruja. I'm Bex Carlos. I'm your host. And, you know, it's been wild as I'm sifting through a lot of the old episodes, the ones that I want to re-air, the ones that I want to re-record. Through this podcast, early on, I was seeking out magic practitioners who might be interested in being featured. And it was kind of challenging because as welcoming as the Bruja or Bruji or Bruhex community can be, it can also be very limiting in the sense that people really want you to be in a box. And sometimes people will be like, oh, you're that Bruja who does this, or you're that Bruhex who does that, or you're that witch who does this. I have a very difficult time with that because if you've been listening to the show for a while, I do a lot of things. You know, I am a podcast editor. I have been a sound designer on shows. I am a producer. I use cannabis as part of my own practice. So I'm a canna bruja. I teach classes based on different magic topics that I'm really fascinated with. Like right now, I am reteaching my Y2K witch class, how to be a Y2K witch. I'm doing it virtually this time. Last time I offered it through Ritual Craft. And that was an amazing experience, you know, that this particular idea or thought process or magic that I'm trying to work with is relatable to other people, you know, and it's cool when you realize or find a niche um, that other people are sort of working in. So I'm really grateful to that class. I'm grateful for this podcast and how far along I've been able to move in my career and for the friendships I've been able to make along the way. Today's episode features Metzgli Wolf and Metzgli and I met through this podcast. They were very accepting and welcoming of just the different things that I brought to the table. And because of that, you know, I've been part of their group, Revolutionary Mystic, for the better part of three years now. And, you know, it's just one of those online communities for different witches to commiserate and to socialize that I just really enjoy. I find myself in a lot of other spaces where people want magic spoon fed to them. And I don't mean to say that you can't ask questions because you should. We should all ask questions, right? We should all be curious. We should all be inquisitive and have thoughts about how to incorporate magic in different ways. But I also feel like a lot of magic practitioners, for whatever reason, hate to be reminded that people struggle. I'm dealing with that in one of the magic groups that I'm in. And it's just like, how do you not realize that magic is so revolutionary? Metzkli does so much to really to create more equity in the world. They have a wolf dog sanctuary, I think year and a half, maybe two. They've really got that up and running and they have an online botanica. They do so much, but recently they have been diagnosed with parathyroidism. They have a tumor that they're trying to get removed. Today is actually the day of their surgery. And I'm really excited that we've been able to get them here because it hasn't been easy. Sometimes the issue is misdiagnosis in Metzgli's case, you know, they were told that they had a bunch of other conditions, but there's all this proof that their parathyroidism was actually the thing that caused their body to be out of whack. And, you know, we live in the United States and we live in this country that has all of this money that has been able to fund nothing else but war in a way that's very upsetting to the rest of us, the citizens in this country. 
And, you know, it was really difficult for myself to have to struggle. And it's been really difficult to watch Metzli struggle because they were actually informed of their tumor before I was, but they were not able to like go to Mexico to potentially get work done in the way that I was. And, you know, I realized that's something that I'm very grateful for because I realized not everyone has the resources to be able to do that. And, you know, it's just been really hard to have to see them beg for their life on the internet. And, you know, I have done as much as I can with this podcast episode. I hope to get this out. And if you are in a place to donate to fund the surgery or even the recovery afterwards, I'd really appreciate you donating a few dollars their way or buying a candle or supporting them. I do want to point out this was recorded a while back ago. So you will notice that some of the things are a little dated. So one of the things that we mention is SAG-AFTRA. So it seems that as of yesterday, there has been an agreement. So I just want to let you know that some of the things might seem a little dated and that's why. All right, let's jump into the episode. I'm excited to reintroduce Metzgley Wolf. It's funny, when we first did... The podcast episode, our first episode together, that was like, what, 2020? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think it was, it had to have been either 2020 or even maybe 2019. Yeah. Since then, you know, I feel like we've both collectively gone through a lot. You know, we've worked together on things. At the time when we first met, like you had your online botanica and you were being a very radical brujex And now you have a wolf dog sanctuary. (laughs) Your botanica keeps getting bigger and bigger, like the amount of candles that you make and the power that they have. You know, it's, I'm amazed at all that you do. Thank you. (laughs) It feels really nice to be seen in that way. One of the reasons that I had you on the show, because like one, I love talking to you and I love supporting you in any way that I can, but we kind of went through a similar experience. You're still going through it. We both had have tumors that were in our body that like, you know, we're still very relatively young. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. So the fact that like 30 somethings, you know, are developing tumors are in a place where I feel like medically we shouldn't be due to all these like outside factors. It's very powerful. And like, I hope you realize and this is reaffirming to you too, that we're still doing a bunch of cool ass shit. Yeah. When we recorded that first episode and been like, you're gonna do all of these things, we would have been like, shut the fuck up. No way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's very, very true. You know, you don't really imagine these types of things like tumors and medical emergencies and stuff. When you imagine what life is gonna look like in your 30s or you know your late 30s whatever or even when you're imagining your dreams you know you're not considering like that's in even in the realm of possibility and so I tried to hold space for that uh, from time to time too while this very real life emergency situation is happening with my health I am still also living a dream at the same time and just kind of helps keep into perspective like what's possible and you know what we are capable of doing and trying to keep that in the forefront of my mind and like imagining that perhaps one day this whole journey with the tumor and needing surgery will just be like a chapter in my memoir one day you know what I mean (laughs) yeah and, and probably one of the more powerful ones 
Let's step back for a second. I want to talk because I've been very open about if you can remember or if you feel comfortable both when you really started to notice like something is fucking wrong. Oh, man. Well, (laughs) that might be a loaded question because I know that you are disabled and it's probably been a roller coaster to figure out what, you know, has been on the other side. You know, the earliest that you do remember just being like, what the fuck is going on with my body? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a very important uh, question, actually. And it's something that I, I really like to share with people just for like awareness purposes, because I can pinpoint like 10 years back, I can pinpoint 20 years back, I can pinpoint all the way back until like I was a little kid that, you know, there was something medically different with me. But The last 10 years or so have been like particularly significant. And I think that's what I will mostly speak to because essentially where we're at right now is myself and Dr. Larian, who's like the world's foremost expert in parathyroidism. He and I are questioning whether or not 10 years ago I was even correctly diagnosed with autoimmune disease or fibromyalgia or Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And we're wondering that if instead of all of those things, I actually just had parathyroidism. And for a lot of reasons, most of which are like systemic and the other are just human hubris. Like we just feel like the doctors and medical professionals that had access to my records or I was in their care did not pick up on this sooner. And they had so many opportunities to pick up on it much sooner, which is, you know, kind of frightening to think about, but it's a thing that happens. And I would not be here still today, I don't think, if I had not began about 10 years ago saying, hey, okay, thanks for the Hashimoto's diagnosis. Thanks for the fibromyalgia diagnosis, but I'm still having these other symptoms that don't fall under those categories. And I need you to figure out what that's about and to keep pushing them over the course of 10 years. You know, and that's like 10 years of gaslighting. It's 10 years of medical abuse. It's just been a really intense process, but I'm glad I didn't let up because I almost started to right before I got the parathyroidism diagnosis. But then, you know, again, strange things started happening and it was like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. Something is really, really not right. And maybe I've been right all along. I was confused on this for a long time. So if people, you know, listening are confused, parathyroid is different than the thyroid. What is the difference between them? They are extremely different. They're both part of your endocrine system, but your parathyroid is something that we don't really learn. Like, I didn't know I had a parathyroid or that a parathyroid even existed until last year. And your thyroid is a butterfly shaped gland that is located like in the central part of your throat. And your parathyroid are four very, very small, like size of like a grain of rice or a pea glands that are in the corners on the backside of your thyroid. Now your thyroid basically controls all of the systems in your body and like all of the hormones. 
in your body, it impacts everything. So if your thyroid is wonky, other parts of your body, other systems in your body are impacted. And in theory, I have thyroid issue in addition to parathyroid issue being Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid issue. And the theory with that been best explained to me is that I have an autoimmune disease and it decides to attack different systems in my body as it feels like it wants to. And it in particular attacks my endocrine system, causing thyroid issues. But it attacks a lot of things, which is why when you meet people who have autoimmune disease, they often have neurological symptoms, you know, skeletal muscular symptoms, like all the systems in your body get impacted and it can vary on different days. That's the thyroid in a nutshell. It controls your energy and just how you process everything in your body. Now, your parathyroid. (laughs) I'm like, how did we not learn about this in school? Because it's an incredibly important thing. It controls how our body produces and processes calcium and how much parathyroid hormone it produces and processes as well. And if either of those things are off being elevated, or you can also have less of those things than you're meant to is like catastrophic (laughs) for your body and can cause anything from uncomfortable symptoms all the way to can be fatal. And, you know, it's pretty intense for like people who don't know a lot about like medical stuff. The control of calcium is really important. Your body uses calcium for a lot of things. Having too much calcium in your body creates a lot of issues with your joints, your bones, and your heart and your brain. You know, it can cause heart attacks and things like that. Having not enough of it is apparently way worse. Interestingly enough, I'm lucky to have hyperparathyroidism because hypoparathyroidism is a whole other brand of hell. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of like what your thyroid and parathyroid do. Thank you for explaining that because I know that, you know, going through this process, you know, we share community. You have the revolutionary mystics group that. It's one of my favorite places on the internet, you know, a lot of us can help each other and, you know, share different articles or fun witchy camaraderie, you know, Yeah. and you've been sharing about your, your experience with all of this. It's been one very brave. The thing is, is that this has been a reality for when, when did you get the diagnosis? Has it been a year now almost or? Almost a year. It'll be a year in December. You know, you've been going through this for a long time. And I, and I know that like when everything was happening with me, you were one of my like inspirations to be so like honest and brave about it. Because the thing is, is we've been taught to suffer in silence, especially like with medical things, right? Like there's something Mm -hmm. to be ashamed of, of the, oh, your body isn't working or there's something wrong with it. Or, you know, it's like we, we are made to feel like we have to hide it and not bother people with it. We live in a country, right, where our own government has like put radiation into the soil, into the water. (laughs) We can't be surprised that all of these exterior elements are breaking us down and not even just you know obviously that but you have you know generational trauma and that's like a huge factor for a lot of people it's like a light switch that kind of causes the tension and something else I wanted to bring to your attention that you had said is that this has been something you've been dealing with in like the last 10 years you're 36 yep 
<laughs> okay, you're 36. So mental, like if you haven't like kind of figured out mentally what's going on and you've kind of been like denying or whatever, typically around 26 is when you're really like faced with a lot of the realities, you know, that you've been not dealing with. Oh, yeah, it's your Saturn return. Yeah, like I think a lot about Britney Spears and how people were very critical of her. But especially around 26, you know, I think that's when she started having children and just kind of being really out there, you know, she and I imagine because baby, I love her, but I feel like she's doesn't have the support system around her to kind of help unpack all of that. And so I imagine it was all just like a catalyst for her, you know, it all happened at once. So yeah, this is to say like, it makes sense, you know, unfortunately, like, her body and just everything was just at this right now everything goes to shit I feel like I've been feeling that too I'm 33 but I'm becoming aware of the harsh realities that life has kind of imprinted on my body and it sucks yeah I think about it all the time you know um and some of that comes from ableism you know you were talking about this like shame that we're conditioned to feel and carry and even project onto other people. And that stems from capitalism, which, you know, of course, comes from colonialism. And I think about how my entire DNA makeup is that of thousands of years of my ancestry, which is primarily Black and Indigenous. And um, knowing the epigenetics that come with that and knowing that of course, so many of my family members have like these serious health conditions. And, you know, I just want to say like, especially like to the witch community and like millennials and anybody who considers themselves like in those realms <laughs> that I thought I was an extremely healthy person. Like I was born and raised in California and was a total like typical Bay Area, you know, they call us like crunchy granola type person, like would do all different kinds of cleanses and fasts. If you can think of some sort of uh, health nut bullshit, I've probably done it because I wanted to make sure I set myself up for a better fighting chance than a lot of the people in my family have had. And, you know, here we are, this is still happening. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people recognize as like part of reality. You know, there is no guarantee for your health. There is no guarantee for anything, but there is a guarantee that if you get older, <laughs> your ability and your health will decline. It's interesting to me that like culturally we have this huge bias against disability and illness because it's inevitable. And if you think about it, even like in today's age, you know, right here in 2023, like we're still dealing with pandemic and things like that like so illness is more and more prevalent and we're gonna see like in the next 10 20 years a lot more people with chronic illnesses resulting from things like the pandemic uh, for covid and whatnot but like ultimately we all become sick and disabled at some point if we're lucky to live long enough and so it's just like wild to me how separate people view themselves from <laughs> either of those things. Cause like I said, it's nothing's guaranteed to you, not even at 33 or 36. Yeah. We don't have control over those things as much as we'd like to. Well, and also I think people are just so unaware of how you said this earlier. There's no guarantee. There are 
so many people who are just unaware that sometimes it's like your body has enough exposure to something that over a long period of time can be like the thing that flips the switch. Stephanie, who you know, they have been amazing about educating me on celiacs because I had a former friend who now in hindsight, I feel like just really liked attention, who was just like, oh, I have celiacs and presented it like it was this allergy. When in reality, it's like, no, celiacs is an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. It's just wild to me. So I don't know if you remember or watched Sex in the City. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the episode where Carrie is dating Burger and she says, I can't remember what she says she doesn't want. She doesn't want onions or she doesn't want tomatoes. It's something like that. But she says she's like allergic, allergic. And then Burger like calls her out. And it's like, but you're not allergic. And she's like, I know. But like when I say that I just don't want it, it still shows up on the plate. I think a lot of people are so self-important that they don't want to be inconvenienced, that they take on these like, oh, I have celiacs. Oh, I have this because they just, I don't want access to it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm waiting for you to join me on the other side because we're going to get you there. We've been fundraising and I know that, you know, we're hitting a little bit of a snag, but you have to have faith that it's going to like come back around. But when I was fundraising like for myself, it's wild how many people are your friends, are your family who will talk about how great you are, how you're inspiring, you know, this and that, but won't take the time to just like share your, you know, your GoFundMe or, you know, your request. I did a lot of tarot readings and I had a lot of people that were great and did share it. But I'm like, you know, is, is this sort of the result of like social media? Like, do we just sort of collect each other, you know, like Pokemon and we got to catch them all, but we don't really care? Obviously, it's so expensive to be sick, to, to have something wrong with you. You have all of these medical bills. But like, I think one of the costs that we don't talk about is it really, really starts to make you like, am I even worthy? Because you see so many people around you who like will share like something, you know, and it's like, why does nobody care that I'm sick? And it's a really hard pill to swallow. It's 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 humbling in a way that I don't like. And it really just makes me so aware of other people's lack of humanity. And I'm sure for you, that's been something that's been super difficult. Extremely. And in ways I didn't anticipate and couldn't have anticipated. And am still like continually unpacking and it's really intense like people don't realize how pervasive this disease is and how I don't get a break from it and how I am supporting the weight of it on my own if other people aren't also you know helping me <laughs> you know deal with all of its impacts I get this visual every time I think about how people don't share other people's mutual aid requests or their GoFundMe links. And it really takes me back to when I used to be a social worker in San Francisco. In San Francisco, they have a very, very high number of unhoused people. There's also a very high number of like extremely wealthy people. San Francisco is a dichotomy. So on my way to work or when I'd be hoofing it around the city, because you don't drive in the city, you take public transit and you walk <laughs> and, you know, doing social work, going from client to client. I got to see all of the city that way, but I would always see how people respond 
to people that need help on the streets. It's just like social media, like 99% of people are perfectly okay with being a bystander, you know, like cognitively disassociating from their neighbors. And that has never, ever sat right with me. You know, being a caseworker in, in San Francisco, I worked for a really cool nonprofit called Toolworks. I had the good fortune of having co-workers that were young and hip and from the Bay Area, like just like I was. And, you know, I learned through them as they were like training me and we were going around the city, like from the get go, how we can relate to our neighbors whether they're housed or not. And I still carry that with me today. Like you make eye contact, you say hi, hello, like that's a fucking human being. If you have something you can share, like offer it to them. And I've always been a very strong advocate for give them money, give them money, give them money, give them money. And I think that's something I get judged for a lot. It's like, oh, geez, like Metzli's always asking for money whether it's for like myself for my medical stuff or if it's for you know a, another black witch in our community it's always money they're always wanting more money and it's like well hello we live in a capitalist society and if we're talking about like redistribution of power then we're talking about redistribution of resources and so that is the most impactful thing we can do. Like, it really like makes me a little sick in my stomach when people are like, Oh, well, I don't like to give them money. I like to go around the corner and buy a sandwich for them, and then give them a sandwich. And to me, that says, I don't view people who have addiction, or use substances to cope with their situation as valid human beings that are worthy of what they're asking for. I know most people aren't even aware that that's what they're doing, but that is how it is. So, you know, giving people money is like one of the most powerful gestures you can make. It gives you power, it gives you access, and it can give you freedom. I don't ever carry cash on me. Same. <laughs> yeah. So I feel, I, I hear you, like if you have the cash, like definitely like help others. What I find myself doing is if I have the resources to help, because sometimes I don't, you know, I still acknowledge people and I still treat them like they're people as you should because they are. But what I will find myself doing, I used to live in a space where there were a lot of unhoused people who would sort of like go through there. I would always just like, hey, let's go to this pharmacy. Just like pick out some stuff and I got you, you know, because typically here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is people who are unhoused typically have some sort of community. They have other people that they look out for or that look out for them. Like if they get resources, they share them too. You are helping a lot of people, even if you don't realize it. And even if it is somebody who is just like, I have an addiction, and I'm gonna use this for myself, like there are people too. Yeah. And even if it's not an addiction, I'm like, if you need a beer to get through your day, who am I to fucking judge? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't even drink. But I'm I'm cool with, you know, if that's what you need to do to cope with whatever your circumstances are, like, I get it. I find it very hypocritical that a lot of people who, you know, are living paycheck to paycheck and smoke cannabis or, you know, drink or whatever are then bothered that other people would want yeah. to do that. I'm like, what? Okay, like you are housed, you have resources, this and that. This is what you do. 
Don't you think if your situation was less desirable, you would want, I don't know, I really do think, you know, and, and this is just something again, that I'm becoming so much more hyper aware of. I was pushing a friend the other day who uses a wheelchair sometimes through, through an event space. And I just, because, you know, I, I do not use a wheelchair in that moment became like very hyper aware of how people when they are walking have no, they pay no attention yep. to what's going on. You know, they're like, yep. I had to like be conscious to like kind of whip and wave them like out of like people's way. Sometimes there were two people where I kind of just like got them with the wheel and I'm like, that's what you want. It's all relative. The thing is, is there are so many people who are just unaware and I'm trying to understand that it's more so out of a place of incompetence than malice because people just don't think they can help others, you know, or, or in their mind, they're like, well, what does it matter if I share it? Dude, you know, let this be the sign. If you think that you are so small and insignificant and you're, you know, it doesn't matter. It does like sharing it. Another group of people who like, you don't know, maybe they just really needed a candle or were feeling a little lost and it's something that could help them. You just never know what people are looking for in their lives. So it's like, you are automatically like saying, I don't think that this is worthy of having more exposure. Yeah. And, you know, I get the defeat that is felt when you do take the effort to repost or even, you know, talk about and share whether it's your own mutual aid request or someone else's and you put yourself out there. It's a level of vulnerability and get little to no response back. I I get what that feels like. I know how discouraging that is. But, you know, resorting to apathy, I think, is one of the most dangerous things we can do because the thing we have to remember about the internet in particular is that people are watching whether you know they're watching or not, which is why a lot of times, like, I will make commentary on social media that people are like, why, why is Netsley going there? Why are they reinforcing this? Because I know people are watching. That tells me that people are learning also and um, seeds are being planted and it's important to do that. You know, even just by demonstrating, which is one of my favorite ways to teach is like, this is what we do. This is how we behave. This is how we treat one another, regardless of the response it's going to get. And In doing that, you're starting to create space that says, like, it's okay for people to need help and it's okay for people to respond to the people that need help. And that is invaluable. Like, I can't tell you how paramount it is when I see other people that have, like, shared the GoFundMe link, even though I'm sure you can imagine I am so sick of having to have a GoFundMe campaign. (laughs) It's not even funny. I mean, as someone who went through it, nobody likes to be on the internet asking for help, asking for money, you know, especially as witches, like we have this deep sense of like, I should be able to figure this out on my own. Yeah, absolutely. And especially uh, if you live at the intersections of like black and or indigenous, like I was raised as, you know, hyper independent as a result of response to intergenerational trauma. And, you know, like I said, I was a freaking social worker for 11 years (laughs) before I went full time into my business. And no one seems to remember or give a fuck that I used to work 
a hundred plus hours a week, a lot of times, and that I had a career where I was helping others and I did the bootstrap thing. Like I was saying earlier, like that doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, I had health benefits that were amazing and a 401k at one point, you know, like, but none of that guarantees you shit, especially not during these days. And no one seems to remember. And, you know, because there's so much ableism ingrained into our culture, I feel as a psychic, that's the other really hard thing. <laughs> it's like one thing to be a sensitive and then like, like being straight up like I one of my stronger abilities, fortunately, and unfortunately is telepathy. But like, I can hear like what people are thinking, feeling, not saying or what they're saying between the lines. And it, it's very much so that trope of like how people uh, hate poor people. They're like, oh, well, you know, welfare, lazy, food stamp, you know, like accusing others of not wanting to do more or that there is even anything that I could be doing more. There's a term for that. I don't know if you knew, but um, it's called a temporarily embarrassed millionaire. And it's people who assume that they're like at a higher financial status, they will not associate as being like impoverished or poor or whatever. It's just that you caught them in a moment that they don't have the money. I love that they're okay, like, because that's the thing, too, that um, I wanted to sort of like expand to your point is that we're at this point where we are learning like terminology and able to pinpoint like the ways in which we do fail each other. And I think that that's very powerful too. Mm -hmm. shared traits, qualities, behaviors amongst a lot of people who, quite frankly, are working class or lower who are not content with the way the world is. And as we shouldn't be. Right now, honestly, we should all be like, if you are, you know, part of a union, if you're picketing, like we should all be helping each other more. I actually just saw that there's a bunch of musicians and comedians in the LA area that are putting on a benefit show so they can also help support the the UAW janitors. And I'm just like, that's dope. Mm hmm. Well, if you think about it, I, I know it's like the core of everything I always talk about and perhaps the core of my spiritual beliefs in general and my work, especially online. But to me, that all stems back to colonialism versus indigenous wisdom, because colonialism will have you believing in individualism and hierarchy and separateness, whereas indigenous wisdom is about interconnectedness and a web rather than a hierarchy and interdependence rather than you know like me versus you it's it's us and it's the difference between colonialism is very like well i have a right to this this and this whereas like indigenous wisdom is i have a responsibility to this this and this and so, you know, like therein lies the root of all of our problems, but especially when it comes to this, like I just wish if I could impart one thing <laughs> to people in general, it would just be that like we are so interconnected, like when you do better, I do better. When I do better, you do better. It is in all of our best interests to uplift one another and keep watching these little movements here or there, like with the SAG-AFTRA strike, like all of that stuff. Like I, every time a new one pops up, I'm like, yes, 
y'all are starting to get it. Now I need you to take that and run 10 miles left, you know, because then you'll start to see that we have all the power. We've always had all the power. And that's why, you know, people like Malcolm X, like the Black Panthers, all of them, like all power to the people. That's why they say things like that. You know, like that legacy was left behind to us as a guide for what to do. You know, like, hey, we have the key. We've had it this whole time. And none of us have to be suffering anywhere near as bad as we are suffering if we could all just simply care about each other. (laughs) People get on social media, myself included, as a form of escapism. They use it as an escape from whatever their real life stressors and realities are. And social media in and of itself is kind of like one big glamour. So when you are a spiritual practitioner or spirit worker like I am, and you are transparent about your real life experiences, you know, you're not as celebrated, I've noticed. And I can see it in the numbers, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon, the steady or significant decline in engagement or support or follows, like whatever statistic you want to look at. Since I've had my diagnosis and been talking about being severely sick, or since I've had to ask for help, or even since I got divorced. And it's just wild, like how if you're not portraying yourself as living the American dream, even as a spirit worker, people don't want to support that or watch that or you know, be part of that at all. And it it even just feels like a judgment even, you know, like, how can you be a good spellcaster and have financial disparity? How can you be such a good, I hate the word manifestation, but a manifester or a witch or whatever, and have these very real life problems. And that's where I promised myself a long time ago that I was going to keep it real. (laughs) Because I I don't want to be part of the problem that essentially would become like the fall of society is this like big disconnect from reality. I'm like, here it is. This is what's real. And to me, that's more valuable than presenting myself only in a certain light and, you know, talking about spirituality from a facade. One thing to dress up super cute and witchy and like read tarot cards. That's fabulous. But, you know, not all spirituality is like that. Many of us are living with multiple marginalized identities and living with some serious like socioeconomic barriers. And to just show up and be like, you know, you can still be a kick-ass spellcaster and broke. <laughs> you know, like that that's a very real thing. And it has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with me. And it's, you know, that's all systemic. But nobody's talking about it, right? I want to touch on a couple of things that you said. The first, I don't know if you listened to one of the most recent episodes that I did with Nix. Shout out to Nix. She's great. But she had mentioned that all social media really just wants to put you in a box. It's like, oh, well, you're the witch who does fitness or, oh, you're the witch who does this or you're the, you know, and that is like a unfortunate reality, you know, like people want to go to your page and be like, this is the person who does this. This is the person who does that. And we see that on Instagram and we see that on TikTok too. But the thing that I do like about TikTok is that like, that's also where we go to trauma dump. I follow my friend Mariah, who (laughs) she's a big advocate for 
ethical true crime. To say that true crime is not a, you know, morbid interest that's been in society for a long time is to deny humanity. Yeah. But I also think that like, in order to enjoy anything, you really have to understand where a lot of like the historical context and stuff. And the thing is, is like in our society, we we want to be the victor, we don't want to be the villain. But in reality, we're both. And I mean, like a big example of this is like a lot of people's interest in true crime is because somewhere down the line, they would go to lynchings. Because I always think that there's a place that it comes from. My abuela, my, my dad's mom, had her husband killed in front of her. He was a mujeriego. And so I was just like, well, that kind of makes sense, you know? And I feel like people need to understand that there's like, maybe there's something a little fucked up in you and why you are interested in these things. And that's okay. But you have to deal with that deep work. (laughs) A lot of people don't. Yeah, well, you know, I actually, I'm glad you brought this up. Not too long ago, I realized that true crime and like the bdsm kink community have some like things in common you know you're talking about very eighth house astrology matters you're talking about taboos you're talking about death at the hands of others or murder or you know those types of things and i remember when i first fell in love with true crime after a lifetime of watching my family you know be very into that type of thing you know like the news and I never understood why because I have a my especially like my mom's side of the family is very very steeped in gang violence and like my great-grandmother like her neighborhood is you know extremely dangerous and so you know there's there's a lot of violence around them all the time and I just couldn't wrap my head around like why would anybody want to watch this stuff but then I got older and myself like I got into it and I was like wait I don't get this like I'm a survivor you know on multiple fronts and you very uniquely because you know most people aren't but like I'm a survivor of femicide and a lot of true crime is femicide and I was like what what does that say about me you know I remember like going home that's when I used to trim weed for a living I remember going home from a long day of listening to these podcasts and I was like, God, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why? Why do I do this? You know, and then I thought about my family and I was like, like, what is this? And then years later, I made this correlation with the BDSM kink community. And it's like, there's a lot of people in that community that are survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse. And it is extremely healing for them and has provided a lot more healing for them through taking back their own narratives and taking back control and safety and sanity in the situation. It has done a lot for people that is very good. Whereas like, you know, it would be very easy to judge someone like, oh, like, why are you into that stuff? Like, what was wrong with you? What happened to you when you were a kid? You know, it's like, well, actually, this is actually really good for you if it's, you know, done in a healthy manner to support somebody's healing. And I think, or I feel as a survivor of femicide, that's part of why I love true crime. And part of it is feeling like I'm learning about the enemy so I can outsmart them. (laughs) And then part of it is it's not just a narrative of the bad guy. It's not just the narrative 
of the gruesome details of what happened to somebody who really didn't deserve that. It's not just about that. You're also hearing a story about people who came together and fought for justice or found the bad person. Or people who are victims of the institutional and systemic racism and violence that happens. Um, have you checked out Sisters Who Kill? I have heard of it. And I'm, I'm aware of what it is. I don't get to listen to podcasts very much by nature of the way my life is. But um, when I'm in the car driving, I just I haven't really been able to drive much for the last year. I put on podcasts and that is on my list. I would highly suggest that one. It's two black women and they talk about their murderess. And so it's a black woman who has committed a crime. And there's typically like, you know, they give as much insight to her background, her life, what sort of led to this. And, you know, it's just like... I okay, and one of the reasons I do like TikTok again is because we can talk about like real things, and I feel like if nothing else, the group of people that I talk about different things there is always constantly growing. But it's like people don't want to talk about like these real things that cause people to snap. You know, the reality is when you see a lot of violence, especially like in the United States, like the people who are primarily seeing the most violence are queer community and different marginalized women black women you have indigenous women you have latin women and then like a lot of that is like geographical it's just fucked up but that is the thing about true crime that i i like is that you know if you are listening to a show that does their research and they're telling you about not just the murder itself but the socioeconomics of like the community the town the racial like background you kind of get a little bit more of the context right i feel like I listen to true crime because it is a way, like you said, to outsmart and be aware. And I don't know, like we watched Primer Impacto and like the news and like Latin America is just very violent and intense. So intense. <laughs> so intense. And I feel like you are just, you know, desensitized to a lot of this stuff. But oh my God, I feel like every true crime thing I've ever watched, been aware of in my whole life prepped me because I know i posted about this on the socials and stuff but methically i don't know if you saw that i was almost like nabbed by like a group of dudes yeah i did see that that's fucking terrifying and i'm so glad that you're safe and okay i don't remember when i encountered your post but i remember encountering it and <sighs> that like knocks the wind out of you yeah like just this overwhelming like oh my god, I'm so fucking glad you're okay. I, yeah, I just can't. And I know that comes from like my own trauma. But um, I'm really glad that you're all right. Yeah, dude. Um, Thank you. Thank you for like saying that. Because I, I appreciate like the good vibe. That was one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me. And I'm just very glad that I'm such a hyper aware person, you know, that I was paying enough attention that I recognize behaviors, you know, like, yeah, because okay, I haven't shared this story on the podcast. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna go ahead and take the time to do that. But long story short, your girl was being unhinged and a little drunk. And I had popped in to see somebody who I just really needed to know what they looked like. And so I was really drunk. And after I had this kind of awkward encounter, I was like, you know what, I'm a little drunk, I'm gonna walk this off. I'm gonna walk through, you know, the park is on the other side, there's cars going up and down 
all of the time. Like, you know, it's the middle of the day. I'm safe, right? Like, it's fine. So I looked really cute. Here's the thing. If you want to be my lover, you got to understand I'm going to wear impractical shoes all the time. <laughs> like, truly. So I was wearing these really cute, like, brown boots that had, like, a, a heel of at least, like, three and a half, four inches. A good, a good size. So in my drunken state, I'm like, I'm going to walk down and I'm going to listen to Crystal Castles and I'm going to get to the hot dog place and I'm going to eat a hot dog. Right. And so it's probably the better part of like three miles. But drunk me doesn't comprehend that. (laughs) (laughs) Drunk me is like, yay, we're going on a walk. So anyway, I'm minding my business. I'm listening to Crystal Castles. And because Okay, until recently, I kind of forgot that I was a babe. (laughs) I totally know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, when you're sick, dude, and you don't feel good, you have no desire to, like, make yourself feel beautiful. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, you're experiencing that too. But please let me, like, tell you that, like, if you don't take the chance at least once in a while to do something cute with your face... I might just have to come and force you. (laughs) It is wild how great you can feel after just like painting, like almost like warrior paint and to like go into the day, you know? Oh, hell yeah. But, you know, so I'm walking and I'm at a stoplight and these guys are like hooting and hollering at me. And I'm just like, "Uh uh-uh, like, no. And surprisingly, because you know me, I'm so vocal and always say shit, but I just like looked at them and like kind of shook my finger, like saying, no, no, no. And they didn't like that. And they pulled up alongside of me and they were like kind of trying to intimidate me. But I was just, again, drunk and listening to Crystal Castles and just kept walking and they sped off. And then maybe, I don't know, because again, I'm drunk, right? What felt like the better part of 20 minutes or so went by and they had parked on a perpendicular street. Mm. And one of them got out and was like walking towards me, like very abruptly, kind of like started to get probably close enough where he could have grabbed me if he wanted to. But I was also like, at this point, taking big steps and like being loud. And I was like, no, thank you. And so I ended up calling my friend and having her on speaker. I'm just like, hey, I just want you to know this motherfucker is following me at the corner of this and that. Because at this point, I'm like, now I'm just going to be loud. Yeah. Because if you're trying to like snatch me up, I'm going to start kicking. I'm going to start screaming. I'm going to make this a whole ordeal. You don't want that. And I'm not going to wait until you grab me either. (laughs) And so like, he kind of like got the message and went back into the truck. And there were at least three, if not four of them. So I feel like if he could have grabbed me and like knocked me out or had because apparently this is really common like in the area. This is just, you know, let it be known because maybe it's happening where you live. But apparently if you see a cloth or like tissue of some sort on your car or even one of those flyers on your windshield, just don't touch it. Just Don't touch it until you get home. And even still, maybe like take some tongs and like people are putting things hoping that you touch it. And apparently there's some sort of I don't know if it's chloroform or something, but you touch it and it like it gets absorbed through the skin and it'll knock you out. And the audacity is on an all time high with these men, you know? Yep. And so like, luckily, like after that happened, I stayed on the phone with my friend and I was able to get to like the hot dog place that I was going to. So I was fine. Well, it's been a few weeks now. So it's like it's all past now, right? Yeah, dude, that was uh, that was intense. And apparently that is something that happens here a lot. I heard of a woman who was not as fortunate as I was. And so 
femmes out there, please just like, if you're walking around, just be aware because it is a scary world. And sometimes we, we think, you know, oh, it's not so bad or we put our guard down and, you know, that's when things happen. So yeah, broad daylight won't save you. <laughs> you know, like being in a area where there's a lot of people won't save you. Like if you're not a true crime fanatic like I am, um, just know that like a lot of people do get snatch and grab that way. Yeah. Broad daylight in public in front of lots of people. Just they're quick. Yeah. My brain is mostly doom and gloom i would say and you know like it's kind of a hard thing to admit but like if you could imagine a spiritual anthony bourdain like that's what my inner monologue sounds like mm. that's really dark and intense and so you know it does feel like that a lot and it reminds me of how like my mom always used to say when i was growing up like you're too smart for your own good that's your problem you know and, it, and that reminds me I have a few things that actually are really helpful. I'm a highly sensitive person and being a highly sensitive person during times like these is a lot. It's too much to hold. And so I don't have to hold it all by myself. Also, I feel this way because I give a fuck genuinely and because I am really fucking smart and aware of a lot of shit that a lot of people aren't aware of. And I value both of those things. You know, I I don't want to get rid of those things. I just have to be very careful (laughs) what I allow that inner narrative to dictate or to choose. It serves certain roles really great. It helps empower me to do things that I love. And it can also be the end of me if I'm not careful. So yeah, no, I I feel you on that front, Bex. (laughs) Like it's there, you know, but then of course, and there's the part of me that like you said, like, is able to see from an ancestral standpoint, like you are the product of thousands of years of ancestors making choices that brought you here. And, you know, that's powerful and not to be disregarded or even like minimalized. And like I said, it's, it's less about like, I have a right to live and more about like, I have a responsibility. (sighs) We're just going to complain the whole time. I really, I try not to, you know, and like, um, the other thing that I've been like discovering through being like critically ill, because at first it would seem as though like, maybe it's because I'm such a complainer or maybe I'm just like so negative, et cetera and so forth. But if you really look at it, if you're someone like me (laughs) who, um, you know, has abundantly healthy amount of nihilism happening in your psyche, that is absolutely a survival mechanism for living during something that a lot of people refer to as like end times or revolutionary times however you want to look at it (laughs) you know like what's your mercury in the reason i ask is because mine is in virgo and i too struggle with the i'm too smart for my own good or i hyper analyze my brain i think is like my biggest enemy at times because i also I just can't take things for what they are and I have to like build it up in my head and like also break my own heart and drag everyone along with me and I'm trying to be better at that but it's hard. (laughs) Yeah so my Mercury is in Aries in my sixth house which is the house of service and it's in a stellium with Jupiter and my north node so it's very tied to my purpose 
you know, to like be of service and to lead and create change. And so like I was saying, though, like, like those thoughts, they're not bad, they're not evil, they're not broken, they're not less valuable or worthy than the positive thoughts. That's just all colonial New Age bullshit. Because really, really, if you think about it, the reason why we have capacity for these what we consider like dark thoughts, right? Is because there is also on the other side of that door, a part of my heart that knows what we're capable of. And feels the tangibility of like what we can do what we can change you know those types of things like I wouldn't be in animal rescue if I thought it was a fruitless endeavor you know you have a lot of purpose in everything that you do and you're very good at what you do because one thing I want to like circle back to and also like note like that whole story that I told you about like how I was almost nabbed up that was in your astral report Oh, shit. (laughs) Because it was like, you're going to be extremely emotionally volatile. The worst of it being on September 10th, which is when all of that happened. And it was like before that, right? I had met up with a friend and we were just kind of like drinking. Oh, my God. And we'll have to I have to tell you about this like off cast. But just like I've been going like through it because I've been with the Venus retrograde, dude. I just realized like wounds that were in there that like I didn't even know. And that's the thing about like relationships or like our jobs or just like major things like that, right? Is they shine the mirror on what's there. You're just like, ah, no. Ah, there's sludge in here I have to clean out so I've been like cleaning out that sludge and so like that particular day I was just like in a really fucked up mental place I was like this witchy bitch (laughs) that same day when I came home and was kind of like processing everything because I posted about it in the group yeah I posted about it in the group I'm like hey I just thought everyone should know that if you didn't even get one of these like you fucked up fucking spot on i don't know if you you know i know that you are sick and i know that you take on work still but i don't know what you're doing if you plan to do that you know again yes okay yeah so yeah if you plan to do that please like promote that because that is like i I suggest all of your shit but i feel like your 12 month you know report is phenomenal fucking phenomenal yeah yeah you know when I think of what I'm going to offer I often think of you know like what have been the most powerful tools that I use you know like what what has been most impactful for me and those year ahead reports like I just like realized one day I was like oh like I rely on this and make life choices based on this and I'm sure other people would enjoy being able to do that too between the year ahead report and now like I don't know if you saw Bex but on my Patreon every week I've been giving like the week ahead astrology that is something that I also use that is like pivotal to my spiritual practice like in terms of like scheduling my week making decisions how I approach my own emotions even because like if something comes up and I'm feeling like I am just fucking angry and like I'm going to rip somebody's head off. But I know that the astrology told me it was going to be like that. I'm much more likely to be able to go, okay, take a breath. (laughs) You know, like it's just super impactful to live life alongside astrology. So I'm glad on one hand, it's been super helpful for you. And on the other, you know, I obviously... It's hard when it does show things like, you know, what happened with you, but it can also help bring understanding to like, not why it happened, but like, 
what can be gained from that. Yeah, and uh, I, I've slowed it down on the drinking because I feel like it made me aware that sometimes I cope with drinking. And that's a whole like generational curse that I'm trying to break, mm-hmm. you know, because I... Oh my gosh, when you start getting into all the historic context of like why like people who are indigenous or black folk have like a problem with drinking in the, you know, especially in this country or in like Latin America, like it really breaks your heart. And so, yeah, I'm trying to be better at like coping. I don't know. Like I don't know how you like process feelings, but I feel like I have to talk about them for a while. And I feel like I feel like after a while, I irritate all of my friends because they're like, they're so sick about hearing about this. (laughs) I'm sick about talking about it, but I'm still like going through it. And then I feel like maybe to not talk about it and just like cry about it. I need to stop relying on drinking as a creative crutch sometimes because I'm better than that. Yeah. 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 You know, like for me, I have a cap moon, Capricorn moon. So I brood. (laughs) I brood. It's I'm a highly, highly sensitive person. I'm holding it all in because I'm protecting everyone around me from the intensity of my feelings. And I'm processing until I can't hold it in anymore. And then it comes, it all comes out like the levy broke, you know, and knowing that about myself has been helpful. What you said, like my relationship to alcohol was when I still drink. And I just want to offer this one thing to you. I love telling people because I feel like it's a much more healthier response to people that are in a place where they're, you know, thinking about their relationship to alcohol. And it's just that there is no such thing as good coping mechanisms versus bad coping mechanisms. There is only effective coping mechanisms and ineffective coping mechanisms. And that can change by person. It can change by situation. It can change by day. It can change by hour. You know, because a lot of people will ask once they find out, like, I don't drink. They're like, oh, well, were you an alcoholic? And I feel like that's a really complicated question. I don't know that I necessarily was an alcoholic. I'm like, actually, turns out that uh, I had this hyperparathyroidism thing that causes severe depression and anxiety. And alcohol was a coping mechanism for me for many, many years. And it reached a point where it was no longer an effective coping mechanism for a multitude of reasons, which point I decided it wasn't worth it for me to keep that in my list of tools that I use to cope with my emotions. And that it was best that I let it go for reasons like you mentioned, like intergenerationally, and like as a both black and indigenous, especially person of color to let go of fire water, (laughs) we call it, you know, and like really, truly walk the red road. Yeah, it, it felt inevitable. And I'm on that path now, almost two years. But yeah, it doesn't have to be bad or good. It's good to hear you listening to yourself and your experiences and assessing like if it's been effective or ineffective as a coping mechanism for you you know what I mean yeah I guess I'm getting to a point where I'm just like if I'm drinking at home fine sure whatever but I don't like sometimes when I'm out and about I overestimate myself (laughs) and don't 
realize I could be putting myself in danger, you know? And so I think that that's the thing where I was like, yeah, like maybe not like that. Nix and I were talking about this, right? Because I don't know if you ever have these moments where you're like, oh, baby, I'm not as unhinged as I used to be. And we should all be very grateful for that. Oh, 5,000%. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you ever, like, if you're familiar with, like, Nikki Six or, like, his, his memoir, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like. I've got stories that would give that man a run for his money in terms of like debauchery and poetry. Like, yes, I am far less unhinged than I used to be. And we should all be glad. (laughs) Fuck. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know what? I realized that like, we're growing, you know, Metzgley and Bex have come a long way in our life journeys. I mean, here's the thing about me baby if you want to be messy i'm gonna be messier like anything you can do i can do better because okay unhinged bex doesn't want to come out to play but also like don't test me just because i care about healing and spirituality and this and that does not mean that if you cross me i'm just gonna be a bigger person about it because i'm sorry that's bullshit to me i feel like the whole idea of like being the bigger person is rooted in white supremacy and like allowing yourself to stay small for the sake of everybody else's comfort a hundred percent is and um it reminds me of the counter to that that is part of hoodoo culture so intrinsic intrinsically black and also native is instead of being a nice spiritual worker a lot of us call ourselves justified spiritual workers and i do justified spiritual work and i like that because it's not catering to whiteness Amen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, seriously, like, don't get it twisted. I will give my shadow a fucking day pass with the quickness and I will feel zero regrets. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, just don't go there. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes people, they don't really always realize the impact with which they move in the world and they do things and they don't think about the consequences. And I'm just like, yeah, they don't have to. They don't have to. And it's also just like, then don't try to be friends with people who have more complex identities and marginalized identities because you don't get all the nuance there and it's just i don't know i'm just kind of in this place where i'm just like my circle of people that i have around me keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller because i'm just like either you get it or you don't a thousand percent either you're practicing what you preach or it's all based out of i just want to have power over other people like this is what i love about my platform is like i love talking about like the ways in which i'm healing the ways in which i fuck up the ways that i'm unhinged like i am not perfect yeah and i feel like i try to be authentic in in that also that's why i love you because you are authentically yourself and you are showing oh i love you too bex (laughs) that's what friends are for but you know what i mean like we we are authentically living our lives yeah that's great i swear i could talk to you all night um where can people support you find you keep up with you you can find all things that i do through my brand new website which is revolutionarymystic.com and it's the same on all platforms whether it's instagram or facebook or threads it's revolutionary mystic if you want to 
find out more about the wolf dog sanctuary I run. Everything is under Black Moon Wolf Dog Sanctuary. And that can you can also read more about what we do and the wolf dogs that we take care of and how you can take action and get engaged and become part of our community through my website, which again is just revolutionarymystic.com. And of course, we have the GoFundMe happening right now to fund my surgery because I need a parathyroidectomy. And you can even just Google like, Metzley Wolf GoFundMe. And it's like the first thing that comes up. If you're like, how the fuck do I spell Metzley? I get you. <laughs> it's M-E-T-Z-T-L-I. Yeah, you can find me all over the place, but the, that's the core. And all the links will be in the show notes. Please support Metzley. We love them. And I know that you will too, if you are not familiar with the work that they do. Oh, thanks, Bex. And thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure. Like you said, I could talk to you for a million years. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. Oh, another thing I want to point out is, again, I did mention this, but this episode was released before Britney Spears' memoir was released. So I have some exciting news on that front coming up on Friday. Keep listening. In the meantime, if you want to support Metzgley Wolf, all of the information to do that is in the show notes. Additionally, Palestine is something that is near and dear to both Metzgley and my heart. So if you are able to donate, show up and be there for our Palestinian brothers and sisters, please do. It's very hard to just kind of be a sensitive person as Metzgley and I talked about and see just all of this violence and terror happening in the world. Please remember you are not small. You can make an impact and things add up, you know, what might feel or seem like a very small gesture in the grand scheme of things has a lot larger of an impact than we think. Thank you again for listening. Um, Again, all the information to donate to Metzgley is in the show notes. And I look forward to sharing space together in the near future. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah, you know.